Well, guys, I'm at uh, 1.30, and so thank you so much. Um, what a, it's just an honor, guys, that you come in and give me a, a little bit of time. We're going to talk about healthy churches. Um, you can tell by the title um, that this isn't magic. Um, so let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get right to it. We're going to have a good time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Lord, uh, I'm, Lord, you know me. You know where I began. Uh, Lord, but by your grace, I am nobody. I've just been around some great men and women who have poured into me and given me ideas. And Lord, uh, just uh, kept me glean from people that knew far more than me and put things together, Lord, and I think um, have some understanding of what it is that makes church, make, make churches, Father, grow, what make them uh, healthy and sustain growth. And but more than that, Father, they, they see people come to know you. Because that's our mandate. We're not just supposed to have some number. We're supposed to be expanding the kingdom. Not our kingdom, your kingdom. So the Father doesn't do us any good to just move them from one church to the other. If we've got sort of the coolest thing in town, everybody likes us. Lord, we're here to build your kingdom. And so, Father, I pray that we would learn some things today. And Lord, I don't perceive that I've got all the wisdom. The wisdom may be in the room. Uh, men and women here that have served you longer than me and know more than me. So, Father, give them... Uh, uh, just the right words to say. Lord, I'll trust you to take the things that you bless me with and let me say them in a way that, that helps people, lift them up. So, Father, I pray that if there be any in the room today who just need to be encouraged, that they can do this, Lord, um, Holy Spirit, would you just come in and just lift them today? Let them have something imparted to them today, Lord, that make them leave this place knowing that they can do this. They can grow your kingdom. That's the call, Lord, and there's nothing worse, Father, uh, than having a call on our lives and then not feeling like we're fulfilling it, Lord. So I pray today that every person would leave here with a hope and a joy and some tools in their hands, Lord, so that they could go and build your kingdom and feel the joy of seeing souls one to you and people discipled and the body of Christ growing and just the, the life of that, Lord. The Scripture's clear. thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, but you've come that we might have life in that abundance. John 10, 10. So do that today. Bless each one in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, once again, guys, thanks. Um, my name's Roy Roach. Uh, you guys completely lost your mind and made me the new assistant. <laughs> uh, thank you. I uh, haven't had a chance to say that yet, but thank you. Uh, we'll do our best. But nobody can be here by you. I can tell you that. Amen. And, uh, but thank you so much. We'll, uh, we'll do whatever we can to help you uh, have strong and healthy churches. Um, I've pastored two churches uh, over the last 21 years. I spent uh, 10 and a half years in a suburb of Kansas City. Went there with a church that was struggling, small, old. It was actually an old car lot building. Uh, it had been a car lot and then a Gibson store. And it still had the showroom, big pane glass. It was the ugliest church building I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, spent 11 years there. Uh, it grew to, uh, we went there at about a 175, and it was about 675 when we left uh, in a town of 5,000. So uh, the Lord gave us great grace. Um, and then came to Abundant Life uh, in Alton uh, almost 11 years ago. And um, it was about 200 when we got there. And uh, pre-COVID, uh, in two campuses, we were routinely about 750 to 800. So the Lord's given us just great grace and uh I'm in, the, I'm in the final stages of my doctorate, uh, and I've, I'm doing my dissertation on uh, healthy church systems. So I've been studying this a while. I'm a beginner, guys. Uh, ask, ask questions. Let's dialogue. Let's figure this out. But I am absolutely convinced uh, that uh, healthy churches are possible in every community. Healthy churches. So let's look at some things. Um, let me give you a couple of, uh, just a few little pieces of information about the Assemblies of God so that you'll see where you are, all right? About 13,005 churches in the Assemblies of God here in the United States, 67% of those are less than 99. So if you think all the churches are big but mine, no, we're actually a small church movement, all right? Most of our churches have less than 100 people. Actually, if you go down to 50, uh, less than 50 is the biggest group as far as numbers of churches in that 67%. So we are really a small church movement. Uh, however, watch this, less than 1% of our churches have more than 1,000 people in them, and yet almost a third, I put a third, but it's not quite a third, almost a third of our attendees 
across the Assemblies of God are in less than 1% of our churches. What does that tell us about our smaller churches? We have a whole bunch of them, but there's not that many people that attend them. Um, we have 83 district-affiliated churches in Illinois out of our little over 300 churches, 83. So if you're in a smaller church, or if your church is, um, well, it's not as healthy as it might be, uh, you are in no way the exception. In fact, in the United States of America, you're more the norm today. For the first time in the history of us keeping sort of church records, and really the gospel coming in the church really exploding across the United States, for the first time when they surveyed people this year, for the very first time, uh, when we when they asked people, uh, do you have a religious affiliation? Whether they attended church or not, for many, many years, when you ask people in the United States, uh, do you go to church? They would say, I'm a Christian. For the first time in our history, this last year when they asked that question, less than half, less than half of the people in the United States said they were a Christian. Uh, our needle is moving the wrong way. Uh, if you believe that, say not. I don't like it. Anybody else not like it? It's not our mandate. It's not our call. Let's move the needle the other way. Anybody in for that? Uh, all right. So let me let me show you a couple of things. Uh, I'm absolutely convinced that healthy churches are possible in every community, without a doubt. I want to give you two two scenarios. I just want us to look at some made-up churches. I made these up. These are not real places. If this is you exactly, and God speaks you out of this, this is him, not me. I didn't look up anybody's information, all right? Uh, church A, here we go. Church A is a rural community, 3,500 people, fairly small town. Most Sundays, the church averages between 100 and 125 attendees. That number is divided between 80 and 90 adults and 30 or 40 children of various ages. The lead pastor is the only paid staff with a deacon board of four, with each deacon responsible for an area of the church. Before you read any of that, anybody in a situation like that? You're the only staff? Anybody in a church where you're the only staff member? Anybody in a church where you're a staff member and there's one other, maybe a youth pastor, that's you? All right, so you're the norm. Don't think, oh, everybody's got more than me. No, that scenario with a single pastor with no staff or a single pastor and one staff is overwhelmingly the majority of our churches in the Assemblies of God. All right, so you're in the you're in the mean, and you're in the you're 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 in the group. All right, but of that in this church in this hypothetical church, the, there's some things that have taken place. All right, each of the each of four deacons has been assigned a responsible an area of responsibility by the pastor. Pastor does these things. He takes care of leadership and vision and mission and worship services, and that kind of sounds like what a pastor does in a church this size, to include all the spiritual life, all the preaching, teaching, and he plays the guitar, so he's the worship leader as well. <laughs> Say amen if you've been there, or you are there. And maybe you play the guitar, but you, you know, you're not much of a singer, you just hope the Holy Spirit moves. Anybody there? All right. He's got four deacons. Uh, he has given them different areas of responsibility. Deacon number one, He's in charge of a, a spiritual community. It's just a name made up. That group includes assimilation, which is what we do with people when they show up here. Care fellowship, which is somebody's got to see them. Somebody's got to keep track of the sick people in the hospital and put together things like you know meals to just for us all to get together in the church and small groups. I mean, we think that's a lot on any one person. Yep. Well, we're only talking about a church of 100, so it's not thousands of people. Deacon number two. Uh, he helps with discipleship and the different departmental church ministries like youth and children and women. All right, deacon number three, uh, he, he's got a bent for outreach, so he does evangelism and mission and public relations. And then number four, he's sort of an administrative guy, works as an administrator in a local business, so he helps keep up with facilities and finances. All right, that's church A. We didn't talk about how much he gave the missions, we didn't talk about if people were baptized in water last year. I'm just giving you a scenario, okay? Here's Church B. Church B is in a suburban area, a suburb of a major city of 350,000. Most Sundays, the church averages 900 to 1250. That number is divided between 800 and 1,000 adults and 300 to 400 children of various ages. Church has 12 staff, eight of which are full-time. The lead pastor serves with a board of eight deacons from its main campus and one parent affiliate campus 
which is nine miles away. A broken down some responsibilities. The lead pastor receives weekly reports from the executive pastor concerning the overall operations of the church, but is not engaged with the day-to-day -day operations, that sort of the admin things. Um, spending most of his or her time preparing messages, recording online content, meeting with influencers and key leaders so as to establish and reinforce the vision and the mission of the church, he develops senior leaders who lead ministry areas. That's what the lead pastor does. He's got an executive pastor who coordinates and monitors a team of ministers and staff responsible for financial functions, facilities, assimilation, care and fellowship, and small groups. So all of those things are done by paid people, okay? Then there's a senior associate pastor. He coordinates and monitors a team of ministers and staff responsible for the different ministries of the church. All of the different ministers, the youth, the young adults, the children, the women, the men, all of those, discipleship, evangelism, missions, and public relations, all of those are under the direction of this senior associate. And then he's got a full-time worship leader. Uh, that individual coordinates and monitors the spiritual life of the congregation to include the worship services and the preaching and the teaching and the prayer. He doesn't do it, but he's coordinating with the lead. Okay, what's your, what's your sermon going to be? What, what are we, uh, the theme of it? So he coordinates all of that. And then finally, there's a media director. That person coordinates and monitors all the visual and auditory aspects of the church to include video production, social media, and lighting, stage design, online content. Now, which one do you want to go pastor? Let me ask you a better question here, and that's this. Which of the two churches is a healthy church? Don't answer it. Just think for a second. And if one of them is healthy and the other one's not, what made it that way? Because kind of like what we heard from Jeff Lee today, we often look at, man, that church's got a thousand people. They got paid staff. And they've got media and video. People getting worship together. What do you mean the lead pastor? He just he just preaches sermons. That's like that thing that they always accuse preachers of. He just comes in and preaches and goes home. Well, he's not doing that, all right? <laughs> so which one is healthy? Anybody want to, there's, um, there's no, no, we're not going to humiliate anybody, but anybody have an opinion? Nobody has an opinion? I'll, John? Yeah. Uh, I would say statistically the first one versus like the amount of people in the church versus the amount of people in the community. All right. So John thinks church A is healthy. Anybody else? Both. Colin said both. Anybody agree with Colin? Anybody disagree with Colin? Anybody got any opinion at all? I can't believe this many preachers in the room. There are no opinions. That's a first. Brother, what? Both churches. Both? Their issues. Okay. Yeah, both churches have their blessings. JJ, what do you think? Well, I think the first church having those four, if it was, they had committees to help them break that stuff down. Yeah. Then that would say that's being mm -hmm. helpful. All right, so as we begin today, one of the things that we need to do is we need to define what a healthy church looks like so that you can take home with you an idea of how to become healthy. We know what it is because for a lot of years we've used things like how many people are attending, how much money did you give to missions, how many staff members do you have, and bigger is what? Bigger is better, all right? That's, that's, that's how we think. Come on. All right. Um, so let's see if we can't. Let me see if I can give you. And this is my opinion. All right. This is not in the Bible. This is my opinion. Here's what I think a healthy church is. A healthy church is not, uh, is not measured solely by its size, but rather by the existence of systems that function well individually and well together. The presence and efficiency of these systems is what produces church health. I don't care if you got 12 people. I do care if you have 12 people. But healthy churches, I believe, they're not magic. All right? People that grow healthy churches of any size, they are systems thinkers. They think, men and women who can think about how do we do this? How do we get this done? Who does this? And how do we break this down? And they do the biblical mandate in pieces to share the load and spread it out and make sure things, those are systems. When you're in the corporate world, everything is about systems thinking. But when you come into the church world, we think in theological systems. We think about, well, listen, what we need is revival. And that will grow the church. Well, I love 
the idea of the Holy Spirit moving and drawing people, but what are we going to do when they all show up? Right. All right? If we don't do something with that life, it's going to die. So what we need is a move of the Spirit and things that are in place in order to capture all the things that God does. Amen? So I'm convinced that it's the systems that we need. A healthy church is measured by those systems. And the absence of any of those, any one of those systems, will eventually make the church sick, and it will begin to decline, and left unattended long enough, uh, the absence of these systems produce death in churches. The, um, before I get to, this, to some foundational truths I want to show you, how many of you like me have ever looked at a place like James River? You know, because that's it, man. That's the that's our mecca. James River. And how many of you have ever met John Limbo? Good guy, right? Met him many times. And I have many times thought, JJ, that guy's just got something I don't have. Man, that guy's got the secret sauce. He's got He's got that pastor superpower. I mean, you know, I'm a passable guy. I know I can preach for everything. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, if you think that, I can preach, but you know. Or you said, well, you know, if I was in an area as big as he's in, I could do that too. Or, well, he's probably got a lot of money, people. And because he's got more funds, he can do more things, he can hire more help. And, but there was something that he had that you didn't. You ever, you ever done that? I have. Something that he or she has. And I don't have it. And I'm not going to have it. I'm always going to be at whatever, I mean, wherever those people are, I'm going to be somewhere else. And I just want to rebuke that in the name of Jesus in your life. Yeah. That's a lie from the devil. That's right. All right? It just is. And that's why I entitled this, Growing a healthy church isn't magic. I want you to know that I believe you've got everything, everything you need. And you say, no, I don't. I don't have a piano player. <laughs> Anybody ever had a really bad piano player? <laughs> I have. There are worse things than having not having a piano player. Get a really bad one. And you'll pray not to have one. All right? <laughs> Do you know that the worst thing in the world, Dr. Mark Rutland said this, and it's true. The worst thing in the world is not hearing a dull, dead sermon. You know what the worst thing in the world is? Preaching one. <laughs> All right? But Mark Rutland wasn't Mark Rutland when he started. I was sitting in the room last night listening to Gary Blanchard and this as he portrayed all and all through his life and I thought, I am dead. Man, I mean, and then somebody afterwards spoke to me and they said, Gary Blanchard wasn't Gary Blanchard 20 years ago. As you can learn to do this. Alright, so let me show you some things, some fundamental truths, and then I want to give you some systems. We've only got an hour, so I can't I can't give you all of it, but maybe I can whet your appetite. And more than anything, I want you to know that I'm here to help. Uh, we've got some ideas about how to do some things across the district to to bring these just some just some things to the district that I think where we can lift every any church that wants to lift, it can. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So two fundamental truths of church health. Here they are. Number one, God wants your church to be healthy and growing. God wants it. I've actually heard people say, well, if the Spirit wants it to grow, it'll grow. And if He doesn't, it's going to die. I, I can't find anywhere in the Scripture where the Lord said, you know, I really don't want a vibrant gospel witnessing group of people here. All right, so let me show you some. God wants your church to grow. How do I know it? Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's not a promise just to Peter. That's the heart of the Lord to establish His church everywhere. And there is no spiritual force that God has not given us the power to overcome in His name. Say amen. amen. So that's there. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all. How many? 
Oh, uh, no, no, just part of your community, right? No, he wanted them all in Ozark, Missouri to be saved, but he doesn't really, he don't want them all in Moline. Come on, we don't, nobody, I don't care about the people in Moline. <laughs> Come on, that's ridiculous, isn't it? How many? How many now? He wants all of them to be saved. And the methodology from the beginning of the day of Pentecost on has been the local church. God wants your church to grow. He wants it to be healthy. Can anybody say amen? Amen. So, and let me give you one more. This is the one that always seals it for me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And I won't read any more scripture because if I do, I'll get all preachy. <laughs> 2 Peter 1, 3 says this. His divine power, whose power? Yes. His divine power has granted to us all things. How many things? All things. Oh, no, no, just some. All. all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Here's what that means. He's given you everything you need. Everything you need. So God wants everyone to be saved. God promised that He was build His church. And He's promised to give you everything you need to get it done. So what's left? Well, we need revival. The Lord's already promised that He would give us everything we need. He wants people to be saved. He uses the local church. So what's left? In my mind, it's the systems putting in place the things that can produce health and life and wholeness in the body of Christ. Let me give you one other foundational truth that you can't miss. I hope you go across the hall and sit in Al's deal because after that, there's just one principle I want to make sure you know, and that's this. A healthy pastor is indispensable for a healthy church. You cannot grow a healthy church if you're not healthy. It's impossible for a church to be or to remain healthy if the pastor and the family aren't healthy. Health must exist in the church's spirit, in the pastor's spirituality, in his marriage, in her family, in her finances, in his physical body. A healthy church is best served by leadership that ensures that the that in the uh, that ensures these areas of health for the pastor. Pastors shouldn't have to ask for these provisions, but in the interest of the church and the pastor's leadership. In, and the pastor leadership should create the systems that protect and ensure pastoral health in those areas. If you're a minister, if you're any of you in here are in areas other than the lead pastor, you'd be an advocate for pastoral health. Make sure that your pastor's taking some time off. Make sure that there's opportunity for them to get away. Just mental and physical and, and relational health in the pastor, all of which can wipe out the church's health if it goes south. So I believe the Lord wants to go to church you got to have a healthy pastor before that can happen. Uh, so if God wants to grow your church and a healthy pastor is in place, what can keep your church from being alive and vital and healthy and growing? Well, I think there are several things, but none of them are mysterious or unattainable. All of them can be had. A church, like a physical body, has systems that must be in place and functioning well if it's to be healthy. So... Anybody believe? Anybody believe that stuff? Yes or no? Yes. yes. All right. So if it's the Lord wants to grow it, He promised to give us what we need, then let's learn the stuff necessary to grow a healthy church. So let me give you some systems. This is, and let me tell you this before we before we look at these. There are a myriad of models, and I think they're all good. Everyone I've seen good. I have uh, some of you are familiar with Church Life. Dr. Wayne Lee, I was a church life consultant, went through his process. Some of you know about Acts 2, but Alvin Garrison, the officially endorsed uh, sort of process of the assemblies. I went and became an Acts 2 coach, so that I would understand it. Some of you have seen uh, uh, Natural Church Development, uh, Mel Mean out of the West Coast. Uh, I'm not as familiar with it. Here's my conviction. All of them are good. They all say basically the same thing in different forms. What I'm going to give you is 12 systems that are sort of a compilation of all of those processes. All of them come at it from a little different, little different angle. Pick one that you like. Pick one that you're available. We're going to do some things in the district to make some things very accessible and make this process attainable for anybody that wants to be engaged in it. So I'm giving you 12, 12 systems that I think must be in place and they must be helped. So let me just walk you through them. I don't think there are any mysteries here. First one's leadership. How will we move from here to there 
Leaders define expectations. If you're going to be a pastor in today's world, you must be a leader. You've got to get in the closet with the Lord. You've got to get in the Word. You've got to have some idea about your community and what it is and what it needs and what its opportunities are, what the needs are, where the felt needs in the community are. And you've got to have birthed in you a plan for how we go from where we are to how we get there. And you as the pastor are the primary leader of that parade. If you won't do that, if you think that all you have to do is get up and preach, the health, the health is never going to come. You've got to preach. We're going to get to that in a moment. But you've got to have an idea of we are here and we're going there. Here's the thing that I've realized. It doesn't even have to be a real good plan. People are hungry to be involved in something that is doing something for the kingdom. You don't even have to have it all figured out. A little bit of you can fake it for a while we're here and they're homeless people and we need to feed them and that's what God's called us to do and then go run and see if they're actually homeless people <laughs> all, right. all I'm saying is that there needs to be a place that you are and a place that you're going and the leader has to communicate that because if all you do and listen if I'm stepping on your sacred cow forgive me but if all you do is have service every week, and it's a really good service, you're never going to go where the Lord wants to take you. I love services, but our real work is outside those walls, yes? yes. And we've got to have a vision for what's going on. We've got to have some leadership that says, this is where we are, and that's where we're going, church. And that's got to be more than we have 100 people now, 200 is where we're going. No. All right, guys, I've been around our community. There are these houses that are neglected. The city's begging for somebody. We can minister to the people that live there. We can display a, a legitimate, and, and that's going to become our church thing. There are young boys and girls all over our community, and they have nowhere to go after school, and our church is going to become the after-school place for single moms to drop their, you know, the bus is going to, you just have some vision that God's given you and start casting it to your church got to have a leader, all right? Number two, vision and mission. This is this is where we're going, where we're going, but how are we going to get there? All right, here's, we're going we're gonna to care for senior adults in our community. There are these high rises of senior adults. There are no services. Come on, there's a thousand things that you might do to win people to the Lord. And we're going to become the church. We're going to cook food in here. And, and listen, I need some cooks. Let me tell you, you can get cooks in a Pentecostal church. I need people. I need people to carry meals out. I need somebody to serve them. Now you're casting a vision. You've got a mission. You've given your church somewhere to go, and here's how we're going to do it. All right? Both of those have to be in place. Number three, spiritual life. All of that flows out of engagement with the Holy Spirit. And that's can anybody say amen to that? Amen. You can't be, listen, I'm not I'm not knocking anybody's church experience, but our church is supposed to be a lot. We've got to be experiential. Come on, guys. The Holy Spirit's got some things. We need some ideas about how to do the things of the Lord. I need to, people to pray with me. So you've got to raise the spiritual life. It's got to be a, a, a defined plan for, or if there are this many people in the prayer meeting, we need to double that. And here's how we're going to do it. All right? So we're raising the spiritual life. Engagement with the Holy Spirit. Engagement with God's Word. Prayer and spiritual disciplines. You've got to constantly reinforce that. You ought to have somebody, if it's not going to be you, you ought to have somebody in your church, somebody passionate about prayer. Find that grandma that she loves prayer and say, you're my spiritual life director. What I want you to do is get as many people in the prayer meeting. All right, then I want, we're going to have a Bible reading plan. I don't know if any of you are my Facebook friends, but if you are, I have a group. It's a private group. It's called Pastor Roy's Bible Reading Group. I have about 250 people in that group. Every morning, I post Bible readings that take us through the Bible in a year. All right? What am I trying to do? I'm trying to get more people in the Word, Neil. Because if I can do that, I can stir up all kinds of things if I get them in the Word. All right? So spiritual life has got to take place. So now we've got leadership going. We've got vision and mission going. We've got spiritual life. Do you remember in church A that there were deacons doing these things? I didn't. Did I tell you which one was helping? They're both healthy. They're both healthy. Why? Because both of them have different, very different mechanisms for getting these 12 areas covered. All right? So spiritual life. Number four, worship. 
many of you have a church and you have almost no musicians? You have a very tough time with you doing this. Let me give you a, let me give you a deal. I demonstrated it to all of the presbyters last year at a presbyter's retreat. Yes. All right. Um, do you have a sound system? All right. Do you have a computer? Of any kind. All right. Uh, there's a pro, there, there's a program called Ableton. Ableton is a program. Uh, first level of it is less than two hundred dollars. You can get Ableton put on a computer. Take a take a headphone jack out. Go into your sound system. Ableton is a program that you can buy tracks for. We use it. We have great musicians, and we still use Ableton every Sunday. All right? Ableton has the ability when you buy a track. A track for a song costs about twenty-five or thirty dollars. Every worship song out on the radio today has an Ableton track. It doesn't have vocals. It has. It may have bass guitar, lead guitar, acoustic guitar, drums, keyboard, synthesizer. Anything that's in the original recording that is there, and it's all individually selectable. So if you say, I got an acoustic guitar, but that's it, then you put the acoustic guitar out and you play along with a full band. I demonstrated it by using a set of earbuds, all right, plugged in so that I had a click track in one ear. Do you remember when I did this? And I had the band playing along with me. I had my guitar and a mic, and it sounded like I had a whole band with me. You say, oh, it's canned music. I'm telling you, your people will love it because you can repeat any piece. You can go back and start again. You can take a piece and go, oh, I really like the chorus. I want to do the chorus three times in this verse. And it instantly gives you the ability to do really high-quality sounding worship that you can control with just a click. And when you get ready to stop, you just click it again, go to the next song. You set up your whole worship. You can have really good worship if you do the work. All right? So you've got to have worship. People have to be moved. You've got a system by doing that. Let's go on. All right? Preaching and teaching. The most important thing a pastor does after being healthy is to find above is what he or she does in the pulpit. You cannot not put your heart into your sermons. Amen. You say, well, I'm, I'm not a great communicator. I have known pastors of tremendous churches that weren't great communicators. But what they did was put their heart in it. I tell people when I teach hermeneutics, until something burns in you, don't preach it. That's good. Don't be a reciter of information. That's good. Don't just stand up and recite information to people. Get enough time somewhere. Find you a, you know the way a verse leaps off the page? And when it leaps off the page, just let it, I, I use the word percolate in my church all the time. I don't know where I say, man, stuff been percolating me all week. Y'all sit down, I gotta go, all right? Yeah. And you gotta be like that. You gotta be excited about what, what the Lord has said to you. You don't have to say it polished. You don't have to say it well. Just let it live in you and it'll live in your people. And you'll get better. But if you're gonna stand up there and drone and not have any life, <laughs> Oh my goodness, you deserve to have an unhealthy church. All right? <laughs> Nothing you do is as important as when you stand behind that pulpit. So you gotta do it with some zeal. Come on, amen? Yeah, Any yeah, preachers yeah. in the room? Yes. All right, you gotta do it with some life. And that's a system. You've gotta think about it that way. It's not, listen, if you're getting your sermons ready on Saturday night, shame on you. Let me just give you a little hint. This is not what this is about. I do a preacher calendar, I do a preaching calendar in January. Usually I take the first week of January, I fast and pray, I get away, I go somewhere, um, and I write out, I, I don't write all the sermons, but I can tell you, I put all 52 weeks, I put Mother's Day, I put Easter, I just use a, a spiral notebook, and I put those deals that, okay, I know I can't preach on, you know, Mother's Day, something that's, you know, it's Mother's Day, Easter's coming up. And so I address those issues, and then I do I do a lot of series. Okay, I got five weeks here, I got four weeks here, I got three weeks here, I got one. I'm going to stand on there, and then I ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what do I need to preach this year? He said, Well, you can't plan that out. Don't you think the Lord knows what your people are going to need six months from now? Amen. 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 And then I start gathering stuff, and I think the sermons I preach in December are better than the ones I preach in January. You know why? Because I've had all year to gather stuff and find illustrations and. They also get longer as the year goes on, which is bad, because right? I've had more time. Yeah. But by the time I get to Sunday, man, I'm ready. I'm like, ah, 
I'm like, I'm chomping at the bits. And that's the way you've got to be. You've got to get ready for it, all right? So preaching and teaching, assimilation. What's assimilation? Uh, that's what happens with those who come through the church doors for the first time. What do we do with them? Well, we, we're friendly. We shake their hands. All right, you may be the friendliest church on the block, but if you're not dealing with them something more than that, they're not coming back. Interesting statistic from Barna last year. It said that most people in today's world, when they come to your church, it takes them six months to decide, make the decision as to whether or not you're going to be their forever home. Six months. So watch this. Even in a good system, we shake their hand at the door, send them a card, maybe somebody delivers some cookies. And when do we do that? First week. Second week comes along and they come again and maybe we, I don't know, maybe we, you know, we know their name. But how long do our efforts last? Two, two weeks, three weeks maybe? And what do we say? Well, listen, we were nice. I mean, goodness gracious, we took them cookies and they got a card and I called them. If they don't like us, well, then they can just get stepping. <laughs> if it takes them six months to make their decision, then our assimilation process needs to be how long? Six now, you don't need to do the same. They say it takes six contacts now. Six contacts for people to make a decision. And some of that needs to be spread out long time. You say, well, Pastor, that's a lot of, yeah, it is. That's a system that's got to be in place. You can't just be shaking their hands at the front door. You say, well, this sounds like a lot of work. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's why they pay us. <laughs> Amen? That's why we were called, because the Lord taught us to be people that could do hard work for the kingdom. You say, it's hard. You were made for hard. Come on. Amen? It's, you say, well, the world's antagonistic. Yeah. Let's go. I don't know about y'all, but you tell me I can't do something. Oh, that's when you really get me fired up. All right? So an assimilation process. Care. What do we do with those in need or hurting? Um, no matter how big your church gets, it will never get so big that people don't want to be cared for when they're hurting. Amen? There will still be people that need to be contacted when they're in the hospital, when they have a funeral, when they when they lose their mom. Some something's got to be put in place to catch that information and to track that information and to make sure that those visits get done. And those and even in a church of a thousand, somebody's still doing hospital visits. In fact, there's probably several people doing hospital visits. Here's the deal, Pastor. That doesn't have to be you. It's got to be somebody, and they got to be doing it in your name when they do it. Somebody's got to be touching people and caring for those in need for your church. And you need a system for that. Number eight is small groups. Sunday morning in the sanctuary isn't enough to hold and teach people. No matter how big your church is or how small it is, Sunday morning is not sufficient to keep them engaged in the body of Christ. They have to be, they have to be connected in some place. So you need a system to funnel people into small groups. We use Growth Track. Uh, church of the Highlands, Growth Track. It's free. You can download all their information. People show up at our church. We do Growth Track every week, all the time. It's a four-week process. We do it week one, two, three, and four of the month. We have a new class starting the first of each month. People can, they, they don't have to be there very long before they can get engaged in a process that will sort of ascertain what their ministries are and plug them into something and get them engaged in the ministries of the church. If they're not going to be in a serving team, we want them to be in a small group. One of those two entities will get them relationally connected with people and get them engaged in a way that will hold on to them so that they'll keep coming back. But you've got to have a system. You say, well, I've only, I've only had 18 visitors last year. All right, well, how many of them did you keep? What did you do with them? The way to get from 50 to 68 is to hold on to that 18. Amen? But if you don't have assimilation and care and small groups, you're not going to do that. Number nine, ah, discipleship. You can't take discipleship for granted. Hardest thing on this list to do is that. The hardest system to create in the church in the United States today is the discipleship system. One of the neat things going on in our world right now is everybody's comfort with video-based communication. Zoom. I didn't say we like it. Did you see? Did you see Ann Blanchard blow a kiss to a video yes. last night? 
Yes. She forgot it wasn't live. Y'all did y'all catch that? Yes, I did. She thought, and then, then, then she said, "Oh, wait a minute." She forgot that she wasn't talking to her friends. That's how accustomed to it we are anymore. What does that mean for you? You could record discipleship lessons and make them available via video, and you don't need to pull people together anymore. But you've got to have a way to get people in the Word. Now, that's not the best, but it's out there, so let's use it. Okay? So discipleship has to be going on. You say, we've got Sunday school. That'll do it. All right? But people have to be engaged in some level, more than Sunday morning in the sanctuary, whereby they are absorbing God's Word. If you'll do that, people are going to know more of the Word. They're going to become more and more what God's called to be in church when they're going to become healthy. Number 10, evangelism and mission. The church must have new converts. You heard me pray a while ago. We're not intended by the Lord to just move people around because we got the coolest, deepest church. We're supposed to be reaching people that don't know Jesus. Yes? Yeah. So you need a system for that. What do you mean? There needs to be somebody giving focus and concentration to how are we reaching into areas where the lost are. Well, we're preaching every Sunday. People should invite their friends. That's not what I'm... If you are telling your people to invite their friends to church, that is not an evangelism system. All right? You need people... You need to be training them in, in, in methodologies that they're using at their workplace, out in soccer fields, and they've got to be engaged in evangelism mission, and you need somebody focusing on that. Finances. Takes money to grow. If you're not giving real thought and prayer to the financial wherewithal of your church, you've you got to develop that system. You've got to have good security systems. 5% of all of the money given to churches in America last year was stolen. I went to the General Treasurer's Conference not long ago. 5% of all the money donated to church. They had videos of people counting the money and stuffing it in their pockets. Wow. All right? And one of the videos was from an AT church. Wow. Guy back out and he's looking and he's sticking money in his pockets. Wow. You don't have a system. All right? And also, the presence of those systems. Um, gives people great confidence in your leadership. You don't have security and multiple people counting. All of those sorts of things. But that's a system that has to be in place. Alright? Say amen. amen. And finally, facilities. Your facilities are your greatest advertisement and tangible resource after your people. Alright? Twelve systems. Any of that seem like magic? Feel like a little bit of work though? Yes. Feel like some time where you're not just studying the scriptures and you get a piece of paper you can sit down? Now, um, Darren, would you go back to the, the Church A, Church B thing for a second? Go all the way back to Church A. Can you, you can just hit the back arrow button if you... Either way, can you, can you get there? You go, just keep going. One more. There we go. Okay. Twelve systems. See if you can find them. They're all there. Just got one paid staff member but all 12 of those systems are addressed with the pastor and four volunteers. It's going to take some more people to get some of that done. But this 12 systems are possible in a church with just a one, one, one paid pastor and four volunteers. Okay? you just got to have the systems. Uh, church B. Darren? All right? We saw them as you went through. Now, this guy's got paid staff doing them. Doesn't matter who's doing them. Somebody's got to be doing them. So let me give you the best part of this whole thing. You know it. This is what makes it possible. Um, when I went to the church in Kansas, first lead pastor job that I was in, uh, they had no money. I mean, they were paying the bills and that's it. They had no money in the bank. Ugly church building. Oh my goodness. When you walked up, there was this uh, part of the building that stuck out, and there was a door, a double door, and they had put a suspended ceiling in. The glass was higher than the ceiling, and they hadn't done it, they hadn't painted that or anything. So when you walked up to the front door, you looked up, you could see the edge of the suspended ceiling, and you could see the insulation in the attic. That's what greeted everybody. 
they, you walked into the sanctuary, it was a long rectangular building, it had old, any of y'all, or any of y'all skaters, or roller, you know, you go roller skating when you were a kid, you remember that? Yeah. Anybody remember what the carpet and the skating ring looked like? Yeah. That was this carpet. Stained coats, I mean, up. Uh, it was red, uh, under the seats in gray, and it was just, oh, it was awful. And they had exposed fluorescent tube lights. Oh. All the way down. And when the sound system was on and you turn on the lights, what did it sound like? <laughs> and that was the first church I pastored. If you go back about 18 years, some of you don't even know what the Pentecostal Evangel is, right? We used to produce a magazine. And the Lord began to move and we began to put some systems in place. And I said, we've got to do something with this building. We had no money. So what we did is we started using what we had. I had guys that knew how to build things. And in 90 days, we completely gutted the sanctuary and built this incredibly beautiful, modern-looking deal. We did it for $90,000 cash that we raised. And we used all of our own labor. And it was so pretty so nice that the Pentecostal Evangel came out and did an article on it. We had nothing when we started. And I'm not smarter than you. You can do this. When I came to Abundant Life, guys, if you think this is arrogant, it's not. It's just these systems working over and over. When I came to Abundant Life, they had $145,000 in the bank. They had an antiquated church building. Uh, they had really no staff, um, volunteer children's person, had this loser named Eric Hoffman for a youth pastor. Clint and them were just down the road from us. Yeah. And we started putting these systems in place. Uh, I'm leaving the church. All right. Um, right now. Uh, we have no debt of any kind. Um, the building is stunningly beautiful. All renovated. Mark, man, how's it? How's it look when you walk in there? Yeah. I'll tell. I mean, I'll testify. Uh, me and my wife have been married for eight months, and uh, we've got to be a part of the wedding life. We moved over there when we got married, and everything Pastor Roy is saying is just. Uh, he's such a humble person, and I can honestly see why God is elevating him to the position he's going to. Because being there for eight months, he is pride-free. He has no pride. And for God to elevate him in this, I've seen That's not what I should do. But this, this is what, you know, Pastor Roy has a heart. He's, he's allowed God to break his heart and establish these systems. He really has. So today, no debt. Another campus paid for. It's totally renovated. Um... Just by doing these things, just doing these things, and 11 years, showing every day, up every day, working hard. Uh, when I leave, they'll have a million and a half dollars in the bank, with no debt. Last month, we took in $82,000 more than we spent. They are taking residents. <laughs> there are, there's just a whole group of people. Uh, when you show up on Sunday morning, can feel the energy in the building. Uh, we were closed 26 weeks last year because of COVID. Totally shut down. We had no online presence to speak of when I started. Um, because of, I'm going to give you the best part here in a second. Before we were done, uh, we were, well, we're doing all the audio video for district council. That's us. All right. We didn't know any of that when COVID started, all right? When we reopened, since we've reopened, we've had 240 visitor cards filled out. 240. And 160 of those have stayed because of these systems. Um, how did we do all of that? You don't need the money. You get the money. The resources for the harvest field, they lay out right by the... They're out, they're buried in the ground right by the harvest field. If you're not going to get out on the harvest field, you're not going to get the other. 
Here's what we did have though. We started finding people. I just started finding guys that could do, here again, can, can you do construction? Can you do electrical? Can you, if you come to our church, there's this ton, there's this, everything is tiled on the floor. Me and my son-in-law, Jason, and one other guy laid all that tile. you got to be willing to. You say, I don't know how to lay tile. I guarantee you, after lay about 10,000 squares of it, you don't know how to lay it really well. <laughs> all right? You learn. You do what? You say, I'm not that. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. It's hard. You, your greatest, here it is. Here's the best part. Here's what you do have. You don't have much money? That's all right. You've got some people. And your greatest resource. Go away. All right. No, you come in here and want to. That's some more of our people. All right. Your greatest resource is your people. You've got the people to do these systems. God's promise that He will bring you people passionate about discipleship, passionate about finances, passionate about put them in charge. You said, Oh, what if they mess up? They're gonna mess up. You know, right? They're gonna mess up. You create the space for failure. You cover. You take all of the heat for all of the mess-ups and give all of the praise to somebody else. And they'll keep showing up. Pour these systems into them. Get them into prayer meetings and pray with them. And pour vision into them. Know where you're going and tell them how to get there. And then just work those systems. And I believe you'll develop a healthy church. I don't think we're ever going to be James River. I'm not trying to be gentle. I'm trying to be Abundant Life Community Church in Alton, Illinois. I'm trying to reach my potential. Amen? You, listen, final step, that is right there. You can do this. You can do this. If God can you last night when he said, God still uses donkeys, I was like, yes, that's me right there. God will use you. And it's not magic. It's simply a matter of Putting those systems in the question. I'm available. Uh, everybody take your phone out. You ready? Rich, you've already got it. I already gave it to you. Alright? 618. 444. 4407. 618-444-4407. That's my cell number. Alright? I will We'll do the same thing. I'll spend my life helping you learn these systems if you let me. All right? And healthy churches will arise, I believe. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, I don't know when we're supposed to quit, but I know there's another one at 2.30, so <laughs> get out. <laughs>